Well, I don't normally use the message version of the Bible when I preach texts, but I really liked it for this particular passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but I highly encourage you to check it out because I, I love the way it breaks this, this passage down. I titled this sermon, If the Foot Should Cry Out. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul offers not only a communal challenge, but a political one that continues to ring true today. Using the human body as a metaphor for community was nothing new in Greco-Roman culture. It was often used to illustrate how unity can exist within a diverse body. It was also used to emphasize the predominance of the head and to re-inscribe hierarchical, the hierarchical, hierarchical order of society. Paul's metaphor is different because he focuses on the importance of all of the individual parts and how they relate to one another and the whole. Paul describes how each body part is to regard and respond to one another in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Paul is concerned about the class systems of society and how they are impacting the body of believers. Divisions are arising as some believe that their status and functions and gifts are superior. Classism and elitism and individualism are finding an expression in the church. Sound familiar? But the crucifixion and the resurrection of a Galilean Jew signified a reordering of life and an upending of class systems and traditional notions of social power. Paul insists that those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Though elitism, classism, and individualism are part of society, they have no part in the body of Christ. Paul gives a vision for a community that practices mutual care for one another and one that gives priority to the parts that are suffering. Verse 25, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. I love the way the message translates this verse. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. In the past, when I have spent time in this passage, the focus has been on the individual spiritual gifts and the different kinds of gifts, gifts listed at the end. I have been to a few spiritual gift inventory sessions, I'm sure you all have, and I've always been disappointed that sarcasm was not listed among them. <laughs> Apparently, sarcasm isn't very good for building up the body. <laughs> As a young adult and a new convert, I thought this passage was powerful and I appreciated the communal image of all of the parts recognizing one another and working together in harmony. That sounds beautiful. But this text sits different with me, sits differently with me now. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me sad. It leaves me with a sense of longing. I love the body of Christ. But as a 42-year-old woman who grew up in the church, I read it differently today. 
I know the body as a hierarchical system with the power to give life or cut it off. To open a door for me and my sisters to use our gifts or to close it. I know the body as a uniform structure that is committed to very specific kinds of conformity around male dominance, around white dominance, around heteronormative dominance. I know the body as an organism that will say to the foot, we don't need you if the foot doesn't conform, if the foot doesn't buy in, if the foot doesn't love another foot, if the foot doesn't have a different skin color, if the foot doesn't stand when the anthem comes on, if the foot doesn't have the right documentation, if the, cut, if the foot is wearing a Nike shoe, if the foot is Republican or if the foot is Democrat. I know the body as an entity that subscribes to certain biblical interpretations and is more than willing to amputate anyone who would rock the boat or challenge the status quo. But I also know the church body can be better and do better. Today I see Paul's communal vision is also a political one with major implications for our life together and perhaps for the future of the church. It fits well within our society today, within the discourse of our time, and I hold out hope that we can do and be better. I think about story and narrative a lot. Tim forces me to listen to podcasts every week. (laughs) And my favorites are the ones that include compelling stories, especially when the narratives compete with my own myopic vision of the world. There is danger in a single narrative. We must learn to seek out multiple narratives. The foot needs to know what it's like to be the eye. The eye needs to know what it's like for the hand. The most powerful sentence I think I've learned to ask in my 42 years is this, what's it like for you? Maybe that's a simple message we can take today from Paul's vision. As members of the body, we should ask others, what's it like for you? and then care about the answer. As a missional community, we don't stop there. As members of a family, parents, spouses, brothers, sisters, we can ask our loved ones, what's it like for you? Our neighbors, especially when they look different than us or live differently than we do, we should ask, what's it like for you? And when we know someone is suffering, and when we know we are in some way culpable for their suffering, when things like systemic injustice are involved, we must have the courage and the concern to ask, what's it like for you? Let us be curious about others. Let us ask questions. Listen to the stories of others. Hold them. It's not enough to tend to our own part. We must show careful concern for others, those who are in the church and those who are not. Okay. So I know we stop and do open it up for for the room. So at this point, I want to open it up and ask how this is sitting with you. Um, Has anyone else experienced the things I talked about in terms of the body being hurtful? And what's familiar, what's surprising? Please share. Older, 
I was not allowed to share with the church in the same way that the boys were allowed to. And all of a sudden, everything was very different. And um, I was I was told that I couldn't speak in certain settings, that it was only appropriate as a woman to teach under a certain age or to all other women. And I remember feeling very much like, why does that matter? Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognize the, and if you if you didn't conform with that, you know, there was a lot of, I feel like, not understanding or being like, maybe you should, maybe you should, this isn't the place for you. And um, I under, I resonate with that feeling of um, the church's willingness to amputate rather than embrace. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I went to Dallas and I was in the for 12 years, and uh, there's one time somebody says to me, that like to just, just knock me over. Um, Chuck Swindoll was president there, and he, and he went on to become the pastor of a gigantic church, Stonebrook. <laughs> and people said, yeah, Stonebrook, that's Chuck Swindoll's church. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he owns this mega church. I went, and what's that happened? First Corinthians 12. Does anybody else... It's his. It's his domain, his property, his, and nobody else's irrelevance. You know, this guy gets sick or dies, the whole thing just implodes. What is this? What's, he is all members of that church. It's his church. It's just not me over it. Anyway. Yeah. Seems like that's our impulse, is to look for the figurehead and focus on the figurehead and how all the other parts work. And I and there's some good in that. I mean, Jesus is our head, and we want to follow Jesus. Uh, but I like the way Paul turns this around to say, let's look around at each other. So, thank you. Yes. Um, I find it pretty uh, incredible that um, discomfort um, creates in us this desire to do something drastic like amputation, right? That instead of instead of working through the discomfort and all the things that might be involved in the path to healing, that we're just like, oh, just cut it off, just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just along with. Um, you know, I, just, I don't like um, confrontation that we're not historically done. And so having hard conversations with people is scary. But I love like your question and, and putting it in terms of curiosity, which I think is like love is the base of that. And um, approaching people and, and having those conversations first and and listening to each other, um, I, I think it, it's a necessity, and that fear just needs to be overcome because fear is just gonna—it's gonna make—it's um, make us do what Jim said rather than be able to come together. And so I think a big step for us. Is, um, I, it, I know there's the verse that love overcomes all fear, so maybe it's just asking God for us with love so that we can approach each other with curiosity instead of fear. I 
I think the question what's in it for you is <laughs> or, or how this is really is the right question really really hard uh, last year I was on Abil- ACU's campus in Abilene right after uh, a young student uh, did a blackface mm-hmm. it was fairly national uh, mm-hmm. and they had an open mic it was all students of color who were expressing this deep hurt and rage. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there uh, with a friend, and Richard said, the emotional maturity it takes to absorb the rage and the anger and listen is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a person of privilege and power, it gets hard to not be immediately defensive and to have the emotional maturity to stop and to listen um, to absorb the rage and the experience of this one who is sharing that experience. Um, so I just want to say and confess, like, that's the right question. It's really important. To add on to that, someone who, on the reverse side, is that um, has been discriminated against in the church, it also takes a lot of courage for me to use the foot to say, hey, yeah. you guys are not listening to me about the foot, because I know you know, that it takes that it takes a lot of emotional maturity and like it's it you're you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable situation and you're already vulnerable. You receive cut off. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about verse 26 this week. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Or as the message says, if one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. I believe that that is the key to healing in the body and in our communities. Mutual care, bearing one another's burdens, suffering with. I was reminded of Christ and the compassion and deep care that he showed for those who were suffering. I was reminded that he wept on behalf of others. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. I want to close with a story and a missional vision. A friend of mine who lives in Portland shared this with me this week. A post from a white neighbor in her neighborhood Facebook page. Hey neighbors, my house and others nearby have experienced a number of recent car break-ins and are not feeling super safe in the neighborhood. We're wanting to find solutions to make the neighborhood safer and are hoping to advocate for improved street lighting with the Neighborhood Association and City. Before we bring up these issues, we want to know if this is something other neighbors are feeling or experiencing as well. And then talks about the Excel sheet to sign up for. And that sounds on its face like it's a good community concern, right? But then my friend shared with me her reply. She says, hi. My son is a 170-pound junior in high school, and he is brown. I'm scared about people who feel scared in this neighborhood and might racially profile my son and his friends because they call the police on them if he or his friends are walking home from the bus stop after a football game. That's happened a number of times. They might think he's acting suspiciously if he's walking with his hood up, slowly passing their house, because he's more of a stroll kind of kid. It scares me when white people ask very benign-seeming questions about safety because I worry that my son might pay the price for our perception of fear. Please, when you are talking about safety, think about how this question operates in this group and how it may impact my son and the other black and brown teens in this neighborhood. There is danger in a single narrative. The first post is concerned for the well-being of the community. But then my friend's post serves as a reminder to me that not all members of the community feel cared for the same way. If all the parts of the body matter, and if all the parts of the community matter, and if we should have concern for all of the parts, and if one part suffers, it means that we all suffer, what then should we do as members of this body? of a family, a community, a neighborhood. Most people I know here in Dallas are talking and mourned about and mourning the death of Botham Shem Jean, who was killed in his home this week. And I can't begin to imagine the suffering of his loved ones and the profound loss encircled also in so many unanswered questions. I know we all have people in our lives who are suffering. I know I do. Some are part of the church, and some are not. I think Paul offers a vision in 1 Corinthians 12 that is a tall order. Even though it is written to the body of Christ, I think we should pack that net even wider and use it as a lens for how we live our daily lives. I saw a brother in Christ, whom I love very much this week, post on a thread about police brutality where some of my women friends were sharing their fears and real concerns about their children. 
and he said that he refuses to even consider their words and refuses to consider any discussion about privilege. That hit me this week after dwelling in Paul's vision in 1 Corinthians 12. We don't get to refuse to care about or listen to the other parts of the body. We don't get to refuse or to listen to them or to ignore their suffering. If the foot cries out, we do not get to say, we don't see you, we don't hear you, we don't need you. 1 Corinthians 12 describes a body of believers that acknowledges privilege and it does not give in to it. Instead, giving greater honor to the other. Earlier I talked about the body I know that has been hurtful and at times hard to love. But I also know the body a different way. I know the body as a sanctuary for those that need it. I know the body as a home that opens its doors and sets a long table and welcomes all. I know the body as a hospital that grasps in what others have cut off. I know the body as an organism that recognizes that our salvation is bound up together. Body of Christ, in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, may we live, suffer, and rejoice together in one spirit, here and in the world that God loves.